millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to the World in Sport, I'm Vinnie Wiley. This week, Pacific rugby teams touch down in Japan for the World Cup and Guam's footballers find it tough going in Asian and World Cup qualifying. But first, the Tonga National Rugby League board says it has been unfairly attacked and former coach Christian Wolf had to be sacked. Tonga NRL Secretary and former international Willie Medwards says the board was moving forward with preparations for Tonga's October Test matches against Great Britain and Australia without him. Wolf had led Tonga to the World Cup semi-finals in 2017 and an historic victory over New Zealand. However, Edwards told Kurovaka Uta problems became apparent when a group of players wrote a letter containing information that only Wolf would have known and containing a number of inaccuracies. When you have players write a letter to the Rugby League International Federation, to Todd Greenberg from NRL, to our government and to various other stakeholders like the CEO uh, Nigel Wood of the International Board and effectively set out in that letter matters which we find quite defamatory and false and seek for the dismissal of the board, it became perplexed into the extent where action had to be taken because the content of the letter is nothing but false and furthest from the truth. Those are matters that were personal and only the coach had knowledge of. The players basically had no knowledge and could not have understood what took place. What they had been informed of was false. The people who have the constitutional right to appoint the board and dismiss the board were never consulted. When you have matters like that made very, very public, you would have thought that the people who were behind the letter would have effectively gone and put the allegations to those who it concerns. We were denied a complete right to be heard on the matter, and yet we were belittled and effectively defamed. That's what triggered the whole thing. When we put the questions to the coach as to why, he allowed for false information to be communicated to the players. We gave him a chance to answer these things, and he came out denying any involvement, which was false. It sounds like in terms of the part that the coach played, from your perspective and from what you're saying, it seems like uh, the, the board felt possibly betrayed by Coach Christian Wolf. Not only betrayed, it's a, a very high sense of deceit and dishonesty because he asked for, and he doesn't have a written contract, and I put it on anyone to go and ask him where's his contract for the last six years. So after the mid-year game, which wasn't very favourable in terms of a result, he requested that he be given a three-year contract through to the end of the 2021 World Cup. The board was amenable to that suggestion, but they came back with the resolution suggesting that the board would like to do that independently of the board and appoint a review committee to review what would be suitable terms and conditions and terms of references for any contract moving forward because we don't know what his terms of employment were. 
It would be based on a review of performance. It would be based upon what his needs and requirements would be and sitting out basically whether it be a one-year contract renewable or whether it would be a three-year contract. He emailed back to us that he had accepted and he accepted that we had asked him to step aside from the nines because we wanted him to focus on the 13s. We were amenable to work with him. Not only did we feel that there was deceit because the letter seems to perpetrate that we basically dismissed him. That was farthest from the truth. It's been undermining the board and the decisions of the board from the outset, and the board's not going to tolerate it anymore. Does it seem to be a hangover from the previous administration? You mentioned that there weren't maybe some of the structures in place, and there was possibly some autonomy in terms of the coaching set up there. Is it possibly just a case of the, the transition to this new board hasn't been smooth? That could be the, the case, but from 2016, when there was a court judgment for the four years, 2016, 2012, 13, 14, 15 no audited accounts and the Chief Justice slammed the conduct of the board. They continued on in their place for another further two years before the court finally took the step to dismiss them. It had gotten to the stage where the board were not only incompetent but they were dishonest. We inherited something that we thought we're going to account to our members, we're going to account to the court and the rugby league fraternity as to accounts because this is not small money anymore. In 2012, the accounts show income and, and expenses from the bank statement of about $150,000. This year alone, there's $700,000 in terms of monetary payments being made in and out of these accounts. We have a duty to the stakeholders to ensure that it's properly audited, to ensure that people are properly accounted for, to squash any rumours of corruption, which has always been labelled against the Tonga National Rugby League from a long time ago. Can this relationship be healed? We've tried to reach out to Christian, but he refuses to budge and he refuses to bridge the gap and therefore we were left with no other choice. Players still want to play and there are players that are going to represent Tonga, whether they're, they're from the last team or not, that's, that's left to be decided by them. But we haven't closed the door on the players playing or representing the country and we're not going to close the door on them. There's not going to be taking any action against any players because they have a right to represent the country. It's not for us to determine that they're unfit to play. Are you worried, though, of this reported threat of a boycott from the likes of John Hopoate and, and naming yourself and the chairman as part of the problem? That's the thing, you know. You've got a, a bloke who doesn't have a really credible reputation in the sport itself coming out and making damning allegations against the chairman and secretary when there's a full board of about nine members who signed the document to terminate the coach. So he singled out two of us, albeit he doesn't have any allegations against us that would hold up in any court of law. In other words, he's making false allegations. If he wants to be turn around and be critical about that, that's entirely his choice and his opinion. But in the, the day, is there's nothing in any of his allegations that's proved any wrongdoing on our part. That's the Tonga National Rugby League Secretary, William Edwards. Christian Wolf declined to comment on the matter when contacted by RNZ Pacific. Fiji, Samoa and Tonga have touched down in Japan with just over a week to go until the start of the Rugby World Cup. The Flying Fijians were the first to arrive at the weekend after departing Fiji on Friday. Tonga touched down on Monday following their 92-7 thrashing by the All Blacks. Manu Samoa were forced into a last-minute change at halfback with Pele Fafonga Kauli replacing Scott Malalua who's out for two months after dislocating his shoulder in the 34-15 defeat by the Wallabies on Saturday. Hukamotu Matu'u was part of a second-half fight back in that match, with the Manu having trailed by 19 points at the interval. We didn't really get the result that we actually wanted, but 
technically and tactically, I think we got everything that we set out to achieve. And uh, I think there are a few facets of play in the game that we kind of just, you know, lost a bit of concentration that actually got them in the game. But our main weapon was to really dominate the physicality and also to and dominate the collisions. That, that seemed to work for us at times. So going into the World Cup now, I think there's a good stake in the ground for us to kind of kick off the World Cup. What, what what was the difference uh, with those second half substitutes? The likes of yourself and Dwayne obviously came on and, and scored two tries, and I guess he's uh, the, the man getting uh, uh, all the sort of highlight reel stuff. But um, what what was the difference when those uh, subs were made? What, why do you think you were able to have that impact up front and, and at the breakdown, and obviously cause them more issues than was the case in that first half? I think just sitting on the bench, you, you get to see a lot more of what's going on in the game and how you can, uh, I guess, target certain uh, plays. Um, I, I think and also the energy that the boys are on the bench and they come off uh, paid dividends to how the second half actually changed. Um, you know, the boys on the bench had you know, a bit of fire burning in the, the belly to actually get out there and actually do the get the job done. And uh, when we got up there, you actually see you know, the other Wallabies eyes that uh, they got there getting rough. So we just really needed to try and uh, to keep on top of that and try and strangle them a little bit more. And, uh, you know, pe- people often talk about with the Pacific Island, the Tier 2 teams, uh, World Cup years, you actually get some time together, you know. You're generally lucky to get two or three tests at the end of a year and, and maybe a couple in the middle. But, uh, you know, this is a rare occasion where you might get four or five weeks together prior to a World Cup and then, of course, um, you know, another month or more at, at that tournament. What, what, what difference has this time in camp together uh, done for the Manu Samoa teams and team, and how sort of ready do you feel for Japan? The time together that we've had has actually worked really well for us. Uh, our main focus was uh, to really lift the, the fitness levels of players and the conditioning that we wanted going into Japan, uh, and also knowing that uh, Japan is a pretty hot place at this time of the year. And actually uh, managed to string through a few of our uh, set players and all our game knowledge and scenarios that we wanted to achieve going into Japan for the World Cup. And it's also uh, the first time that we actually had some decent time to be together. And it's probably like, uh, as part of the Tier 2 Nations, we always ask for more time together. And now that we have the time together, we've managed to actually put in some uh, performance that we that we were happy about and, and we know we can improve going forward. I think that's what uh, the best thing about playing the Tier 1 countries is you get a gauge on, on where you are and I think that's why Tier 2 nations need to play these uh, Tier tier 1 um, teams more, more often so we can keep competing at that top level. Yeah, I mean, 34-15, it was a couple of late tries, I guess, which uh, made the scoreline blow out for Australia there. You, did you feel you, how into the match, how... How you know um, capable of victory did you guys feel during that second spell once you got that momentum? Oh, because starting on the game, actually the whole week has been there. We, we knew that we had the belief to actually put them away. So, um, and actually when the uh, second half kicked in and uh, momentum started to swing our way, I think the boys got their tails up and uh, we just had to try and stay and ride the wave of it. But, um, you know, as clinical as it is, uh, I think Australia took uh, all the opportunities of all our little mistakes. So, uh, yeah, I think there's the little things that we need to tidy up on on our game is all the little mistakes that they clean up on. You know, now you head to Japan, you've got Russia first up, isn't it? So um, that's one where you guys are obviously expected to win. And then uh, it's it's quite an open group, I guess, Um What's the, I mean, obviously the goal is to get through to the, the knockout stage, but what's the sort of focus? Is, is there anything in particular you guys have um, been talking about or, or working on in terms of 
um, particularly areas of the game, uh, you know, as you lead into that tournament? Teams having the underdog badge is, is, is quite a big thing. And, you know, everyone talks about Russia can be a walk in the park. It's any team that get given the, the win on any given day. And uh, we're going to take every game as it comes, like it's a final. So if there's anything that we need to work on as a team, as, and collectively is just um, understanding our, our game plan, um, having pure clarity in, in what we do. Motu, I think there's a, a few guys that took a knock uh, last night. Um, how's how's the bodies uh, in the camp? Is, uh, is everyone going to be okay uh, to get on that plane? Oh, most definitely. A few boys had a, a few scares last night, and uh, I think they're getting one, they're still getting one to throughout uh, the next couple of days, and should be on that plane coming up uh, Tuesday. Manu Samoa and the other Tier 2 teams, do you feel what you've been given in these last couple of months in terms of preparation, in terms of match opportunities, in terms of facilities, finances, is, is it enough to, to be competitive at the, this World Cup? Is there more World Rugby could do or do, is there still work to do in that area or do you, do you feel it's improving? What, what's it like on the ground for you guys as players? Oh, as, as players, there's always room to move, and there's always uh, there's always room to also improve in, uh, in the way that uh, we can get to access uh, resources and financial backing from World Rugby. But uh, being Pacific Nations, we just roll with the punches, you know. And uh, whatever comes our way, and we we're, we're a happy bunch, and we're ready to adjust to whatever comes our way. And uh, financially, we have a lot of our uh, Pacific Island communities that really get behind the boys. Like uh, last week in uh, Auckland, there was a massive fundraiser for the boys. And also uh, here in uh, Sydney, they, they managed to put on a big fundraiser that actually uh, had money go towards the boys and also to the team. That, that helps with a lot of the resources that the, the boys need in Japan. Is that to sort of help you guys as players? Or when you say resources, you, what, what sort of resources do you mean? So, yeah, the money does come to the players. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of the money comes to the players, and there's a separate money that goes into the kitty for uh, team resources. That's like things like, uh, you know, extra kilos for bags because boys are only allowed one bag to go with uh, the travel work. And also like, uh, things like uh, strapping tape, power rings. It's the basics, the basics that uh, the Tier 1 nations have constantly given, like, as sponsorship they have. You know, we have to raise funds, and then those funds actually go into things like that uh, to keep uh, the professional environment taking over. That's the Manu Samoa hooker, Motu Matu'u. The Guam men's football team remain upbeat despite back-to-back home losses in the second round of FIFA World Cup and Asian Cup qualifying. The Matau were pipped 1-0 by the Maldives on Thursday before a 4-1 defeat to the Philippines on Tuesday. But head coach Carl Dodd says he's still extremely proud of their performance against more highly ranked opponents. Looking for a response from the Maldives game. I mean, when you play for the first 45 minutes and then the second half were a lot better. Uh, and then looking at today's game, I was very proud of the players. We played football from the get-go and just switching off at key times and little things. I mean, you tidy that up and it's a, it's a different scoreline. You know, you have to also give respect to the Philippines. A lot of their players are playing in Europe professionally. They're a top side. You know, so we did well to play football the way we did, but frustrating as well because we know we can do a lot better. So it's all about continual improvement with this group. Did this feel like a big step up from the first round, these two matches? There's definitely a jump in quality, which is to be expected. Uh, again, our boys getting used to that. Those experiences will pay off in the long run. You know, we haven't played a Philippines 126 in the world or, or a Maldives 152. You know, they're both good teams. The Maldives won the SAFF last year, so, you know, it's nothing 
to be, uh, you know, embarrassed about. The, the boys put a good account of themselves, and again today against the Philippines, like I said, against professional players. So they just got to continue to keep proving, and, and now they know what it takes to match it. And, and so, what is your message to the players? I mean, obviously, you go out there, you're, you're hoping for a win, but as you say, against two very good teams, uh, you know, how, how do you ensure that they don't get themselves down, and, and that you guys have something to build on and, and move on to the next uh, the next match? We just continue to focus on the positives and, and tidy up those little areas that are, that are costing us. I mean, we make we switch off a couple of times and we get punished. But I mean, the more games we play, the more experience we'll get. Though, hopefully, those mistakes you know go away or we fix them. So that just comes with playing more games. So it's just about being positive, and they can be very proud of their performance today. And I guess one of the good things about this, you know, getting through to at least the second round, uh, is that. You know, you do start to have these regular matches, which um, you know can be few and far between sometimes. So, um, is there an opportunity before the next stage uh, or the next matches in the group to to have any other games, or um, how, how do you sort of um, progress from here? Well, yeah, I mean, being Guam, the budget's very tight, small island, so we, we will look into it. But um, it, it's definitely a limiting factor for, for the island. But with this group of players, it's about getting experience. I mean, there's a lot of young players in, in this group coming through. You know, in this cycle, yes, we want to achieve something, but we also want to get a lot of experience into these players. So, yeah, we'll be looking at games. That's for sure. They need the more exposure they get to games, the better they'll get. And you talked uh, before these two matches against uh, Maldives and, and Philippines uh, about the development of the on-island players and that how there was a, a real core of players on island that obviously you get the opportunity when they're on island to work with them on a you know regular basis, whereas you don't always get that same contact with the offshore players. Um, so um, is there any benefit there in the sense that at least you know those those players that you're sort of building around that you've, you've got them close on hand that you can sort of um, you know have them on hand to sort of um, build on, you know, what you're sort of saying there and sort of... I mean, it's not the same squad. I think people still reflect on the last cycle. I mean, we had a, a few MLS players and players playing professionally in that last cycle. A lot of those players have moved on now, retired. And, you know, now you've got the next wave coming through. And the reality is a lot of those players are on the island and they've been given an opportunity. The amateur players, they don't get paid and they're going up against professionals. So, they, like I said... We work hard every day at training, but again, we're training for what? We, we don't have games at the end of that week, and it's very tough for these guys. So the more games they get, the better they'll get. They'll get. But, I mean, at training, they've improved out of sight. I mean, to play the football they did today against the Philippines earns a lot of respect in the football circle. So, you know, they can be very proud, like I said. That's the Guam men's football coach, Carl Dodd. And that's the World in Sport for this week. I'm Vinnie Wiley. For more Pacific coverage, head to our website rnzi.com.